Ready? Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse. My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the official, uh, unofficial Beastie Boys podcast known as the Brouhaha. I know I haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, I, I was on a good streak, and, and keep in mind, I haven't done one in months. It's not like I haven't done one in years. But I got off to a good start early 2022. I did the 30th anniversary Check Your Head special. Then I took a little break, and then I never came back until now. You know, it's like someone who starts off really well with their New Year's resolution. They go hard in January and February, and then, you know, they, they kind of give it up in March. But I'm back, and uh, if you're listening in real time, summer of 2022 is winding down. We just had MCA Day NYC. First MCA day in New York City in five years. And I think it was a success. We had Alan Lights and Nick Carter from Sirius XM judge a Beastie karaoke contest. I, I thought it was a good story because the two people that won had never met each other until they were singing Beastie Boys songs on stage together. Because we were looking for contestants and... Someone said, I think her name was Kristen. She said, I'll do it, but I need someone to do it with me. And then 10 minutes later, I ran into someone. I think her name was Megan. And she said, I'll do it, but I need someone to do it with me. And I'm like, huh, you've got to meet Kristen. So they met, they performed, they won, and they took home a whole bunch of Beastie Boys goodies. Uh, students for a free Tibet, they had a booth at MCA Day. Oscilloscope Laboratories was there. Rachel Zern from Oscope helped judge the Beastie Karaoke competition. We had Unlearn, Rage Against the Machine cover band. Now, they've done MCA Day a handful of times, but I think this was the year to do it because Rage Against the Machine is back. And unless you had tickets on their sold-out tour, seeing Unlearn was the next best thing. And it was the night after MCA Day where Rage Against the Machine finished their run at Madison Square Garden, and now they're done for the time being. They canceled all of their European dates because I think it was on the second night of the tour, Zach De La Roca ruptured his Achilles. And I got to see Rage, now I'm going off on a tangent here, I got to see Rage the Friday night before MCA Day, which was held on Saturday, and whew, so good. And I didn't even mind that Zach was performing on a road case because it was almost like a caged beast. He couldn't get out of his cage. So good. The, the only word I thought of in the moment to describe it, I turned to my wife and I said, this is awesome. And it was awesome. So when Zach heals and Rage goes back out on tour, you must see them. They're so freaking good. So back to MCA Day. Uh, we had a band called The Ill Dudes. 
I don't know if it was the ill dudes. I think it's just ill dudes. The good people, they did have an article before their band name. Lejeune performed a couple of songs. Back in the day, she destroyed so many MCs on BET's 106 and Park that they had to retire her to the Hall of Fame. I also want to shout out Brownski and the MCA Day Philly crew for all of their DJ sets. Pat Poon was wearing many hats during MCA Day DJing for all of the hip-hop acts, including mine, the Beasley Boys. Me and my eight-year-old daughter performed a set of Beastie Boy songs, and it was fun. I I enjoyed it. I also want to shout out Mike Kearney for facilitating everything. He's a great delegator. Remember, he doesn't put concerts on for a living. He's a school counselor. So shout out to Mike and then the whole squad that he delegates to. Michelle doing pictures. Andy doing the art. Steven doing the visuals, shout out to Rob, Jason and Rusty who got there beforehand and helped hang banners. And I know I'm I'm missing people, so I apologize if I do not shout you out. Frank Anselmo for doing the trivia, Sarah who acted as our stage manager. There was a Beastie fan, I forget her name, and her teenage daughter was watching over the table where free prints were available. Nick who is documenting the entire event. And Nick's like a pro. He, he does this for a living. Would we call him a documentor? Uh, anyway, Nick was there. Owen from Ireland. So to everyone who helped put this on, many thanks to you. So I know a lot of people from the outside looking in, they're probably wondering, did any big names show up? Well, we got video drops from Mixmaster Mike. Fredo, Matt Pinfield, Dave Holmes. I had to hit up my MTV connections. But no, we didn't have any Beastie Boys show up. No one from Run DMC or Public Enemy showed up. But you know what? In all honesty, I think I'm beyond the name thing. It was just cool being together with Beastie Boys fans. And there were Beastie Boys fans from across the nation that came in specifically for MCA Day. I met people from New Orleans, people from North Carolina, people from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, who just made the trip to be with fellow Beastie Boys fans. So it was a good time. All right, so let's get to today's episode. Today, I'm calling the Live Log. Live Log! Yes. I thought it was a good time for me to track all of the times that I saw the Beastie Boys perform live. And if I can go back to MCA Day for a second, there was someone performing in the karaoke contest, and they said, you know what? I never saw the Beastie Boys perform live, but I hear everybody talk about it, and it almost makes me feel like I did see them live. So I am fortunate enough to have seen the Beastie Boys perform multiple times. And like I said, I think today is a good time to track it. And then I took a step back and I thought, is this too insular? Me just writing down every time that I saw the Beastie Boys? Because it will benefit me later in life. When I'm 87 years old, I'm like, oh, thank God I recorded a podcast. Otherwise, I may have forgotten. But I thought, no, it's not too insular because maybe we didn't attend the same shows together. 
but I bet you we attended the same tour. And maybe by me talking about these tour stops, they'll jostle something in your memory and you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was a good time. Or maybe you can't remember if you saw the Beastie Boys in 94, 95, and you're like, oh yeah, it, it was 95. It wasn't Lollapalooza. It was the Quadraphonic Stereo Tour. So that's what we're going to do today. The live log. Now, I understand that I could get hung up on a show, and this could turn into a really long episode. So what we're going to do, taking a page from the Beastie Boys book, I'm going to break it up into two parts. So you are listening to Live Log Part 1. We'll end the episode, and then for the next episode of the Brouhaha, we'll have the Live Log Part 2. So those are the ground rules. Let's take a break, and when we return, we will get into the Beastie Boys live log. Right, back on the brouhaha. Time to get into the live log. But before I get into it, let me just give you a history of my concert going experience. So, uh, my first concert ever, Dion. Yes, Runaround Sue, The Wanderer, Dion. Dion of Dion in the Belmonts. My mom won free tickets from a radio station. That was my first concert. Sad to say, I think I fell asleep. I wasn't even awake for the entire thing. So then, you know, I'm in high school, still haven't attended a real concert yet. And you all know my So What You Want story. I came home from high school, turned on MTV, saw So What You Want, and fell in love with the Beastie Boys. So I was so in love with the Beastie Boys, or I guess I should say I was so inspired by the Beastie Boys, I started my own rap group called The D-Boys. Me and some high school friends. And there was one point in my life where I performed more songs at our own concerts than concerts I actually attended. And thinking back, how did I know how to perform a live concert? Because I hadn't gone to one yet. Maybe it was everything that I saw on MTV. I don't know. But it's wild to think about that I probably at one point had performed four concerts and saw zero. But I do remember in high school, my friend had a heavy metal band. I saw them at like a a small bar. And then in college, I went to a club called Graffiti and saw the local band, The Affordable Floors. And I remember watching The Affordable Floors thinking to myself, yeah, this is fun. But wouldn't it be cool if you could see one of your favorite bands? Wouldn't it be cool if you could see the Beastie Boys live? It almost felt like fantasy thinking that I could see the Beastie Boys live. 
It didn't, it didn't seem realistic at that point in time. So then, I'll never forget this, early 1994, probably January or February, I'm in my dorm room and someone slides a piece of paper under my door really early on a Saturday morning. And I later found out it was my friend Mike Jacobs, and we would later become roommates and start a band together. But on that piece of paper, it said, Beastie Boys, Nirvana, playing Lollapalooza. And I couldn't believe it. Because at that point in time, early 1994, nothing was more important to me than the Beastie Boys and Nirvana. And I was going to see them together at the same concert. I couldn't believe it. Now, we all know that that didn't happen. Kurt Cobain took his life in April of that year. And that took me a while to get over. But as the summer approached, I thought, well, yeah, I'm not going to see Nirvana, but I'm still going to see the Beastie Boys. So my first Beastie Boys concert ever, me and my friend Joe and my friend Dan, we road tripped to Columbus, Ohio, Polaris Amphitheater, and we went to Lollapalooza 1994 on July 19th. And to this day, now also keep in mind that this was my first concert, and then I went to a ton more, and then I worked in music for a quarter of a century, so I saw a shit ton of concerts. To this day, I have never seen a wilder concert in my life. Summer of 1994, nobody was cooler than the Beastie Boys. Whether you were walking through the halls of your high school or college or you were at a mall, everybody was rocking a Beastie Boys t-shirt. So Lollapalooza 94, a lot of fun. I saw Luscious Jackson, Tribe Called Quest, The Breeders, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars. And I just remember this. There was the pavilion seats and there was the lawn seats. And there was sort of a walkway that split the two. And throughout the course of the entire afternoon, people were walking along this sidewalk, going to the second stage, going to get refreshments. But when it was time for the Beastie Boys to go on, at dusk, that walkway was clear. Everybody was either in their seats or on the lawn. And when the Beastie Boys set started, the place erupted. My brain almost short-circuited. A lot of people had picnic blankets, and they would take these picnic blankets and launch their friends up in the air, much like we would do in gym class with the kickball and the parachute. So I look across the lawn, and I was in the lawn, by the way, and I just saw hundreds of people flying through the air. And then when the Beastie Boys launched into their hardcore songs, a whole bunch of people from the lawn bum-rushed the barricades and went into the pavilion. So it got so out of hand that multiple times the Beastie Boys had to stop their set and tell the crowd to calm down. They said, we don't want you to get hurt. But when they bum-rushed the pavilion seats, they took the barricades, passed it back to the lawn people, and then the lawn people were body surfing the barricades with people surfing on top of them. So not only did you have hundreds of people flying through the sky, you also had a whole bunch of people surfing on barricades. It was wild. 
It was wild. And I was so into the show that by the time the Beastie Boys set was done, you know, we go crazy. And then they come out for an encore. And I hear the opening chords of So What You Want. And I was like, whoa, I was so, I was so caught up into their set. I didn't even realize that they didn't play my favorite song yet. I could have left before the encore without hearing my favorite song. And it would have been the greatest concert ever. And now they launch into So What You Want. And I just remember a bunch of us in the lawn. We didn't know each other. We all put our arms around each other, formed this huge circle started bouncing up and down. And when the Beastie Boys hit the course, then bam, the circle broke and we all just started slamming into each other. It was beautiful. Then the Beastie Boys closed with sabotage. I couldn't believe it. I finally, I finally saw my favorite band live and it was everything that I hoped for and more. Because I remember for like a month or so after, I couldn't listen to Beastie Boys studio recordings because it didn't match the power of their live set. But let's go back to July 19th. Beastie Boys leave the stage. I'm a 90s kid. I love the Smashing Pumpkins. But I turn to Joe and Dan and I say, we can't stay. I mean, (laughs) how do you top that? And they said, yeah, yeah, we agree. We should probably just go home. So we, along with a ton of other people, exit the Polaris Amphitheater, drive home and attempt to listen to Beastie Boys music on the radio. Although it doesn't feel the same because it's not as powerful as seeing it with thousands and thousands of people. Maybe the best concert I ever saw in my life. Now, years later, and we'll get to this in the live log part two. Years later, I've seen the Beastie Boys tighter But keep in mind where I was at at that point in my life. I had never really seen a real concert or a concert on that scale. It's my favorite band the first time I'm seeing them. Come on. All right, so that was the first time I saw the Beastie Boys. Second time I saw the Beastie Boys, I treated myself to pavilion seats when the Beastie Boys came to Pittsburgh, PA for Lollapalooza 1994, a week or so later, July 30th. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this was the first and last time the Beastie Boys ever played Pittsburgh, my hometown. Killed me. Killed me that the Beastie Boys would never swing through Pittsburgh. And it wasn't even in Pittsburgh. It was 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh in Burgettstown, at the Starlight Amphitheater. So, you know, same deal. I saw Luscious Jackson, Tribe Called Quest, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars. Uh, this time, however, it was me and Joe, and he introduced me to some of his college friends, Dave, Jen, and Brandy. Now, here's the thing. We all went to high school together, but I didn't really know them that well. So I said, oh, hey, who are you here to see? And all of them said, the Beastie Boys. And because of me, I had to vet them. And within a minute, I'm like, oh, they're legit. And then I was also simultaneously depressed because I thought we went to high school together and didn't know this. So Joe and I, we had a plan. And this is pre-cell phone era, pre-QR code era. 
We had our ticket stubs. And we told Dave, Jen, and Brandy, when the Beastie Boys perform live, go to the edge of the pavilion seats, we'll sneak you our ticket stub, and then you just come into the pavilion. And we'll do that one by one. And it worked brilliantly. Like, I think uh, I gave my ticket stub to Dave. Joe gave his to Jen. They came in, and then maybe we snuck it out and gave it to Brandy. Or maybe Dave was a gentleman, and he went last. Anyway, we got all three in, and we were all together to see the Beastie Boys. So we all know that Beastie Boys opened up Lollapalooza 1994 with Sure Shot. I looked over to Dave, and we sang the entire song word for word. And I looked in his eyes, and I thought, wow. I want to be your friend. And you know what? It was that day that me and Dave, who would later become known as Prof D, we sealed our friendship. That's right. The Beastie Boys brought me together with one of my closest friends, Prof D. And then I should also point out that Jen, because of the Beastie Boys, became a dear family friend who attended my wedding, who would always go to my wife's birthday parties. And uh, if any of you saw the movie I made, So What You Want Revisited, Jen's husband plays Mike D. So all of this doesn't happen were it not for the Beastie Boys in Lollapalooza 1994. So another incredible set by the Beastie Boys. And I should also shout out Hurricane who came out for two songs, and he had the crowd in the palm of his hand. He said, throw your hands up in the air, and everybody in that damn amphitheater put their hands up in the air. So what I was going to do differently for this Lollapalooza, I was going to stay for the Smashing Pumpkins. I gotta make it clear, I am a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I had their albums. I played them on my radio show. I love the Smashing Pumpkins. However... How do you follow up the Beastie Boys? So it's me, Joe, Dave, Jen, and Brandy. We lose our minds watching the Beastie Boys. Then the Smashing Pumpkins come on. We stay for one song. We stay for two songs. And then by song three, we kind of looked at each other. And we almost didn't need to say anything. We just kind of nodded our heads and said... Yeah, we, we should probably go. And to this day, it's hard to explain, but after witnessing the Beastie Boys at Lollapalooza 94, when the crowd is just going berserk for an hour and a half, you almost have to leave. You need a palate cleanser. You, you, you can't stay for the Smashing Pumpkins. You just have to go home. You have to end on a high note. And I know this was a thing on the Lollapalooza 94 tour where Billy Corgan, there's stories where he was frustrated. He knew, he knew you can't follow up the Beastie Boys. And then I think, what would have happened if it was Beastie Boys and Nirvana? Do I leave for Nirvana? I, I, I don't think I would. But does Nirvana step up their game to match the power of the Beastie Boys? I don't know. All right, so... That was the second time I saw the Beastie Boys. Once again, this is the live log. Live log! Part one. So the next time I saw the Beastie Boys was a year later in 1995. So we had the internet. I didn't have a computer at my home. We had one 
at college. But having the internet back then wasn't the same as having the internet today. We got our news in different ways. So I was watching MTV's Week in Rock, and they ended by talking about the Beastie Boys. I think it was their South American tour. And they said, hey, the Beastie Boys start up their North American tour soon. And they scrolled some dates across the screen. And I saw that they were playing in Cleveland, Ohio. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to that. So me and Joe bought tickets. And remember, this was in the Ticketmaster era. I guess we still are living in the Ticketmaster era. But you could buy tickets at your local grocery store for anywhere in the country if they had a a Ticketmaster outlet. So I bought tickets to see the Beastie Boys on the Quadraphonic Stereo Tour, May 17th, 1995, at the Cleveland Convocation Center. So I got there as soon as the doors opened. I grabbed a stack of those tour magazines with Billy Joel on the front cover. I still have no idea how I kept them because I I still have a stack to this day in mint condition. How did I keep them in mint condition? Maybe I had a backpack? I, I don't know. But as we got into the arena and I treated myself to floor seats, there's the big sound area in the middle of the floor and I saw Mario C., And I was shocked that people weren't swarming Mario C. And I believe he was with Eric Bobo. And I said, oh my gosh. So I was talking to Mario C and Eric Bobo. At the time, I guess I would have been 20 years old. So I couldn't even imagine what that conversation was like. I was probably just like, whoa, you're awesome. You're great. You're awesome. You're you're Mario C. So it, it probably wasn't a great conversation. So the Bad Brains were supposed to open up on this tour, but I think HR or someone in Bad Brains got in some type of trouble where they couldn't play this show. And then I think for other dates, The Roots were openers and uh, John Spencer Blues Explosion. But on this night in Cleveland, the opening act was Hurricane and then it was the Beastie Boys. So this is the third time I'm seeing the Beastie Boys live. And let me just give you some highlights from this night. So what I wanted to do here, at this point in my life, I've seen the Beastie Boys on the lawn. I saw them in pavilion seats. And I said, you know what? Even though I won't be able to move as much, I want to get up right on that barricade and see the Beastie Boys up close. So for most of the show, I did that. And I remember like pointing and screaming at MCA and he pointed back at me and I was like, whoa, like MCA actually saw me. And then I was yelling at Eric Bobo, who I saw earlier with Mario C and following one of the instrumental songs, he looked at me and he tossed me his drumstick. So now I've got a a stack full of tour magazines, I guess, in my backpack. MCA pointed at me and I got a drumstick from Eric Bobo, the pros of being up close right on that barricade. Now, a few years ago, I saw Eric Bobo backstage at a Cypress Hill concert, and I told him about how he threw me a drumstick. Now, I lost the drumstick, and I was trying to think, how did I lose the drumstick? And I told Eric I probably lost it when the Beastie Boys launched into a hardcore song. And then Eric said, you know what? It's all good. He went to his bag and he pulled out a drumstick and he's like, here, I'm going to give you another one. And I was like, whoa, decades later, I finally get my drumstick from Eric Bobo, which I have to this day. 
So I remember going home that night and I was thinking to myself, wait a second. I wouldn't have lost the drumstick when the Beastie Boys were playing a hardcore song. Because when you're moshing, your fists are clenched. I could have used that drumstick as a weapon. How did I lose that drumstick? And then I remembered. It's even cooler than losing it in the mosh pit. Ad-Rock jumped into the crowd that night. He actually jumped on top of my head. So now, let's take a timeout. I got MCA to point at me. I got a drumstick from Eric Bobo. And now I have made contact with the Beastie Boy. Ad-Rock is now on top of my head. Now, the only bad thing is, everybody is pulling Ad-Rock down. I am under Ad-Rock, so now I am being pulled down to the floor. And I thought to myself, and I was in good shape at this time. I was a strong, athletic 20-year-old kid. And I thought to myself, I've got to save Ad-Rock. Otherwise, this Cleveland crowd may smother him to death. So the only way to do that, I had one free hand and the other hand was clutching the drumstick. I thought the only way I can save Ad-Rock is if I have both hands free and sort of launch him up into the sky. So at that moment, I let go of my drumstick. That's right. I sacrificed my drumstick for the life of the King Ad-Rock. I propelled him up into the air forcing him to change direction. He was then body surfed back towards the barricade on stage and continued performing. Some other notes from this show. For the second time in my concert-going career, the Beastie Boys performed Get It Together. And for the second time, it was a slight train wreck. Never got to see them perform Get It Together smoothly. They did it in Pittsburgh with Q-Tip, Q-Tip had no idea when to come in and when to come out. And then when the Beastie Boys performed it in Cleveland, it was a little bit sloppy. Also cool on this night, the Beastie Boys played Funky Boss. They opened up with Heart Attack Man. They also played Four Fly Guys. How many of you have seen Four Fly Guys performed live? They had that crazy sex wheel on stage. This was the tour where the Beastie Boys had dueling drums, where Mike D, Ad-Rock, and MCA were playing drums simultaneously. I remember during the encore, Beastie Boys played Sabotage, and during the stop-down near the end of the song, they kicked into a Pollywog Stew song. I forget which one. It was one of the short ones, and then they came back and finished with the end of Sabotage, which I thought was creative. So it was a fun show, but I wasn't super into the crowd. Some of the knuckleheads were throwing elbows during the instrumentals, but what really got me when the Beastie Boys were performing Shore Shot, one of my favorite Beastie Boys songs of all time, people were moshing, and I got knocked on my ass. Now, I don't mind if people are bumping into each other during Shore Shot like a friendly mosh, but this was straight-up hardcore I'm going to see Madball in concert moshing during Sure Shot. Uncalled for, Cleveland. Uncalled for. And most of you know this, but I was born in Cleveland. My grandparents live in Cleveland. All my relatives are in Cleveland. I guess Cleveland technically is my hometown. So I was slightly disappointed 
by some of the crowd's response at Cleveland that night. So there you go, concert number three. Let's go on to concert number four. I wouldn't see the Beastie Boys for another three years. 1998. At this point in time, the Beastie Boys have put on two Tibetan Freedom concerts. One in San Francisco, one in New York City at Randall's Island. The third one was going to be held at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. And oh, by the way, one of my BFFs, Troy, he lived like an hour away from RFK Stadium. So he suggested that we go to the Tibetan Freedom concert. And I was like, heck yeah. So it was me, Troy, Prof D, and my good friend, Tori, a.k.a. the T-Bell. Spoiler alert! Me and Tori got married six years later. Now, talk about an act of God. Tori was graduating from high school the Friday before the Tibetan Freedom Concert. And I really wanted Tori to go because I had a crush on Tori. But all week long, they were calling for rain on Friday. So if it rained on Friday, Tori's graduation would have been canceled because it was held outside and it would have been rescheduled for Saturday and she would have missed the Tibetan Freedom Concert. So I was praying all week, dear God, please, please let it not rain on Friday. Or if it rains on Friday, please just let it let up for two hours. And by divine intervention, even though all of the top meteorologists were calling for rain on Friday, it didn't rain. So Tori graduated on Friday and she went to the Tibetan Freedom Concert with me, Troy, and Profti on Saturday. Now we also met up with our friend Gretchen, who lived in Maryland. And this is a very 90s story. So we go to the Tibetan Freedom Concert on day one. And I, I forget like the car situation because there were a bunch of us. So we get there and Gretchen's sister and friend also get there. And then they say, ah, uh, we left our tickets at home, which was like an hour away. So I think the, the way we worked it out is Troy gave Gretchen his car keys. And he said, here, you can drive back home and get those tickets. We're going to enjoy the Tibetan Freedom Concert. Now, if that happened today, you just pull out your phone and your tickets are on your phone. But back then, you needed your actual tickets. So day one was the appetizer for day two because that's when the Beastie Boys were performing. So I'm trying to think back, and it's not really well documented on Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure on day one, and I might be confusing it with day two, but I remember seeing, and these are the, the standout performances, however many years later, I remember seeing Wyclef, I remember seeing KRS-One, R.E.M., Radiohead, Luscious Jackson. But the big story from day one is that someone got hit by lightning. Now, don't worry. They didn't die. Although I don't want to downplay getting struck by lightning. But we're in this big metal stadium with railings and bars. And I think a concert goer, she was a girl, was holding a railing or a bar. And when the lightning hit the stadium... I guess it went through the stadium into her because she was wearing a bra that had a metal wire on it. Now, I'm not Bill Nye the science guy, but I believe that the electricity conducted through the metal in the stadium into the wire on her bra. 
So when you have a festival attendee struck by lightning, it's a serious thing. So Michael Stipe and Adam Yauch got out on stage and they announced that the rest of that day's festivities were canceled. In retrospect, probably the smart thing to do. And I've always said it on the brouhaha. Adam Yauch is a visionary. How many concerts many years after that saw people get hurt because they wouldn't cancel a concert? So they said, you know what? We'll everyone just go home. We'll regroup tomorrow. And I think they shuffled around the lineup some. And I did not get to see Beck. He was scheduled to play on day one. And then I guess they couldn't move him to day two. So I didn't get to see Beck at the Tibetan Freedom concert. So day two came. And oh, before we get to day two, I always find this amazing. In the pre-cell phone era, I forget the combination of people, but there were two people outside eating lunch, one of those being me, three people inside the concert, and somehow we knew how to find each other without texts or beeping or cell phones or anything. How did we know how to do that? We ate lunch and we amazingly found our friends despite there being thousands and thousands and thousands of people in attendance. Day number two, A Tribe Called Quest goes on before the Beastie Boys. I remember they put on a a real good set. And then the Beastie Boys came out in their powder blue lab coats. So when the Beastie Boys take the stage, because they're the Beastie Boys and everybody loves them, the crowd starts to shift and sway. And I lost Tori. Oh, no. I lost my future wife. But I was going to find Tori despite neither of us having cell phones. So the Beastie Boys are performing live. Some more background information. Me and Tori were in a band together called Deck of Jack, which is still together to this day. However, Tori is no longer our bassist. She hasn't played with Deck of Jack in many years, but I'm, I'm looking for Tori. And when the Beastie Boys kick into A Grade on Mojo, a song that our band covered, I found her put her on my head, and made our way back to Troy, Prof, and Gretchen. We continued the tradition of the so what you want circle. We got a bunch of strangers together, put our arms around each other, bounced around. I remember this is the first time I heard putting shame in your game. It was a good set. I don't know if I would call it fantastic. It definitely wasn't as powerful as the Lollapalooza 1994 shows. And it makes sense because the Beastie Boys are sharing the bill with other acts. They still get a long set, but not as long as it would be if it was a true Beastie Boys headlining set. Now, some of you may disagree with this. And this may be one of the most memorable things that happened at this concert. But you know my role from Lollapalooza 1994. Nobody! Nobody follows up the Beastie Boys. And if they do, I don't stay for it. So guess who played after the Beastie Boys? It was Pearl Jam. I didn't stay for them. And neither did any of my friends. Now, it it, it gets worse. (laughs) Especially for someone who bleeds the 1990s. So I walk out on Pearl Jam. And then as we're driving out of the stadium, we swear 
We swear that we hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So it turns out after Pearl Jam, the Red Hot Chili Peppers performed a surprise three-song set. We didn't stay for them either. Do I regret it? No. Because no one goes on after the Beastie Boys. So that was the fourth time I saw the Beastie Boys at the 1998 Tibetan Freedom Concert. An all-around great weekend. Because after each day, we would drive back to Troy's parents' house and we would watch the recap on MTV. That was living life in 1998. Fantastic weekend. That was the fourth time I saw the Beastie Boys. June 14th, 1998. And if you are keeping track of dates, Hello Nasty has not been released yet. Although at that point in time, everybody was listening to Intergalactic. It was everywhere. So because Hello Nasty hadn't come out yet, the Beastie Boys weren't truly supporting it or at least in North America. And then that happened later that summer. So the fifth time I saw the Beastie Boys going back to Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland. The In The Round Tour, August 14th, 1998. The big round stage in the middle of the arena. I don't want to poo-poo on Cleveland, but when I think back to this concert, I think of the bad times more than the good times. And it, it should be remembered as such a good time because I brought a caravan full of people. Troy, Randy, my brother, Jeff Portman. I forget how many people we had. Joe was there. I had a caravan full of people. And before we went to the Cleveland Convocation Center, I know I'm going back to the Convocation Center, all of us visited my grandparents. I got an awesome picture of all of us and my grandma before the Beastie Boys. <sighs> You wait. All right, let me let me let me just get into it. So I made all of these giant poster board signs that spelled out Quagmire. Cuz you know the lyric So I had a big poster board of Q U A G M I R E. We were all going to hold them up when the Beastie Boys performed Putting Shame in Your Game. I made another sign that said, where's John Barry? Hoping that the Beastie Boys would read it and then say a word or two about John Barry. So we get to the front doors and security says, where do you think you're going? And I'm like, I'm going to the concert. And they're like, not with those posters you're not. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you can't bring posters into the convocation center. And I'm like, why not? And they said, those are the rules. I'm like, really? I can't bring posters? into the arena, so they confiscated my giant boggle letters. That took me a long time to make, so while they were taking my boggle letters, I quickly folded up my John Barry sign and put it down my pants. And while they were taking my quagmire signs, I also snuck a tape recorder down my pants, because I was going to make my first beastie bootleg ever. Didn't turn out so well. You know, I had the recorder under my seat. It sounded like crap. I mean, you could barely tell what song they were playing. But I did have my John Barry sign. So the Beastie Boys are performing in the round. 
And then I take out my John Barry sign and security swarms me like I was public enemy number one. I could see them coming at me from different angles. So I threw the sign and got the heck out of there and kind of like mixed in with the crowd. So then later in the concert, the Beastie Boys are playing instrumentals and these two jackasses in front of me are ripping off the armrests to chairs, which are dense, heavy pieces of plastic. And we were in the upper deck and they would take them and just throw them down to the floor. Probably clunking someone on the head, a good chance giving them a concussion. So I am not good at confrontations. Probably better now than I was back then. Now, if I had to do it over, I would have tapped both of them on the back and said, what the hell are you doing? Don't be throwing armrests at fans. I didn't do that. I went to the security guards and I said, there's these kids ripping armrests off chairs and then throwing them down to the floor. They're probably going to hurt somebody if they haven't hurt someone already. Security never came. And this bummed me out because I was holding up that John Barry sign and they were acting like I was robbing the Federal Reserve. And then these kids who are potentially causing harm to people, nothing. Nothing. See, years later, it still affects me. If your crowd bubble isn't good, it affects your concert going experience. The bubble I had at Lollapalooza 1994 was so good. So then the encore came and I thought to myself, okay, I've seen the Beastie Boys mess up, get it together at Lollapalooza. I saw them mess it up in 1995 in this arena. A Tribe Called Quest were touring with the Beastie Boys. So at this point in the tour, they probably had Get It Together down pat. And I knew they were doing Get It Together because I saw an MTV news piece where they showed like a snippet of the performance. But on this night, Q-Tip did not come out. The Beastie Boys did not perform Get It Together. So even though I had a fun time with my friends, we visited my grandparents, not the best Beastie Boys experience. And I wouldn't see the Beastie Boys again for another three years. Now, it should have only been two years, but in the summer of 2000, for the Rhyme and Reason tour, well, that got canceled because Mike D got into a bicycle accident. You all know that story. Why did Mike have to ride that bike? It happened so fast in the blink of an eye when I heard all about it. I just wanted to cry. I'm the one Maybe, maybe we'll break that down on an episode of The Brouhaha. I'm starting to realize as I go through these concerts, each of these could be an episode of The Brouhaha. So I know I'm doing this in two parts, 
but I could do this. This could be like a 15-part series. All right, so next up, October 28th, 2001. A month and a half after 9-11. So in March of 2001, I moved to New York City with Joe. I thought, you know what? I'll try it out. And then when I run out of money, I'll move back to Pittsburgh. Well, long story short, I've been in New York ever since. So 9-11 happens. I was temping. And as I looked out my window, I could see everything. Scariest day of my life. So a month and a half later, the Beastie Boys want to help out New York City. And they put on the concert, New Yorkers Against Violence. They're playing for two nights. I think slightly different lineups for both nights, but the Beastie Boys were headlining both of these nights at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. So like I said, I had moved to New York City earlier that year. I was temping. I did not have a lot of money, but I did have enough money to see the Beastie Boys. However, not enough money to see them twice. So I thought, do I go to night one? Or do I go to night two? Night two, they might be a little more polished. Because keep in mind, at this point in time, they haven't played live in three years. But I decided to go to night one, and here's why. You may remember, in 99, the Beastie Boys put out the Sounds of Science anthology with the new single, Alive. So I thought to myself, if I can only go to one, if I can only afford one, I'll go to night one because I can say I was at the concert where the Beastie Boys played Alive for the very first time. And I was. And I even made a little Shazam sign. So if you see bootlegs of this concert when the Beastie Boys are performing Alive and Mike D goes into his Shazam line, you can see like a corner of my poster which I tried to flip on stage, but aerodynamics were bad that night, and that thing just flopped to the ground, and I never saw it again. So this was a good concert. This was all hip-hop. Beastie Boys just playing behind turntables, which they would later do for their next album. And uh, whiny Jim, he, he's going to creep into this again, because I think there were five or six bands before the Beastie Boys, and they would play for 20 minutes, but the Breakdown and setups would take forever. So by the time the Beastie Boys got on, they had to cut their set short. And I thought, come on, Beastie Boys. Was there any reason you needed six bands before you? Everyone in this place would have paid exclusively to see you for two hours. We don't need all these other bands. Now, I remember the Strokes played. And I was really excited to see the Strokes. And at that point in my life, they were one of the most boring bands that I've ever seen. They just stood there. And I thought we could have done without the strokes. We could have done without this. I think Yoko Ono performed. And it took longer for them to set up her set than her actual performance. I thought we could have cut out Yoko Ono. I just want to see the Beastie Boys. Now, I'm looking at Setlist FM. And it seems like a, a full set. They did 13 songs. But I swear to you, that night it felt like short or abbreviated, or maybe the Beastie Boys were rushing through their set to make time. What I also found odd this night is that the Beastie Boys played 13 songs, so What You Want was number nine. 
I wasn't I wasn't ready at that point in my life to hear So What You Want at number nine. You close out with So What You Want. Or it's the last song of your set before you come out for the encore. So I, I thought So What You Want should have been held later. Because it goes, So What You Want, I'll write here this. 3M Season 1 DJ, Pass the Mic, Intergalactic. Anyway, I, I was thrilled that I got to see the Beastie Boys live in New York City for the first time. And I thought to myself, this could be a nice perk living in New York City, seeing the Beastie Boys live every so often. Now, I found out that on night two, Bono from U2 showed up, and everybody was talking about Bono being at this New Yorkers Against Violence concert. And I was like, I I went to night one, and I didn't see Bono, but I did hear Alive performed for the very first time. All right, so let's take a quick break right now. This is probably a good time to reset. But when we come back on the brouhaha, I will tell you about the seventh time that I saw the Beastie Boys perform live. We are back on the brouhaha. It is the live log. Live log! All right, concert number seven. And things have drastically changed in my life. Because the last time I was seeing the Beastie Boys live, I could only afford to go to one show. At this point in my life, I was getting free tickets to any show I wanted to go to. And not only that, I got to introduce the Beastie Boys live on stage. That's right. The seventh time I saw the Beastie Boys was for the MTV2 $2 bill concert at the Hunt Ridge Theater in Las Vegas, Nevada on June 9th, 2004. My goodness. And I should probably dedicate an episode of the brouhaha to this experience because this was the first time that I met the Beastie Boys. So I won't go into too much detail. Um, wait, wait, Where should I begin? <laughs> See, I said I'm not going to go into too much detail. Now it feels like I might, but I, I do have to provide you with some context. So earlier that afternoon, I got to interview the Beastie Boys for the first time. Because I was working for MTV2, I was their main VJ, and I was going to introduce the Beastie Boys for their $2 bill concert, and I got to interview them, and they were thinking of using clips from these interviews that they might splash into the show. They never did. And they probably didn't, because the interview wasn't that great. I was scared out of my mind, interviewing my heroes. Remember, this was the whole plan. In high school, I wanted to become an MTV VJ so I could meet the Beastie Boys. The dream was coming to fruition here. So I was nervous. I got through the interview. Looking back, I think the questions were good. I just, you know, I wasn't a polished performer at that point in time. So I did ask the Beastie Boys about the weave. And they said, you know what? It's, it's been a while since we've done the weave. Maybe we'll, we'll break it out at some point. So I don't think 
It was a memorable interview on the Beastie Boys end. And there were probably parts in the interview where they felt bad for me. They took pity on me. Because you, you've seen the Beastie Boys doing interviews. They could destroy an interviewer. So I'm happy that they did not destroy me. But I did ask about the weave. So let's fast forward to later that night. I get to introduce the Beastie Boys before they take the stage for the MTV2 $2 bill concert. So the producers took me aside and they said, you know what? Instead of introducing the Beastie Boys, why don't you just introduce Mixmaster Mike? Because when you do your introduction, he'll come out on stage first. So even though I was sort of new to the game, I had to put down my foot. I had to say, no, listen, this is probably the only chance I'll have in life to introduce my favorite band on stage. I get it, Mixmaster Mike, he's coming out first, but the Beastie Boys will shortly follow. So F that, I don't know if I told them that, but in my mind I said, F that, I'm introducing the Beastie Boys. But I did kind of follow their instructions because I went through every band member's name. But at the end of my intro, I definitely said, Beastie Boys. All right. So here's where things get interesting. I take it upon myself. You know, we're in Las Vegas. So I I bring a tuxedo. It wasn't really a tuxedo. It was just a, a sports jacket with black pants and a bow tie. But from afar, it looked like a tuxedo, like the ones that the Beastie Boys wore in Sure Shot, which was filmed, oh, by the way, in Las Vegas. So I decided that I was going to do my best boxing in-ring intro. So let me play it for you right now. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for tonight's main event. Making their way to the stage at this time, the undisputed scientist of sound, representing the five boroughs of New York City, MCA, Mike D. The King at Rock, Mixmaster Mike on the ones and twos. Are you ready? The Beastie Boys! Now, I don't know if you could tell from that clip, but there was a part in that intro where the crowd, the noise just swelled. Like, I, I felt an energy inside of the theater. And I think, because I knew the Beastie Boys were immediately backstage. I betcha, this is me just spitballing here. They heard the crowd and they're like, wow, like this guy got a pop from the crowd. Oh, wait a second. That's the guy that interviewed us. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's the guy that wanted us to do the weave. So I think if I gave a shitty intro, the Beastie Boys would have forgotten about me immediately. And I went on stage that night thinking of Ashton Kutcher. Why, you may ask? Because I think it was like a week or two earlier, the Beastie Boys performed to check it out at the MTV Movie Awards, and Ashton Kutcher did the intro. And he basically just recited the lyrics to Fight for Your Right to Party. And I thought to myself, man, if I ever get a chance to introduce the Beastie Boys, I'm not going to do no shitty intro like that. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to honor the Beastie Boys. Because you know... At that point in time, the Beastie Boys hadn't touched Fight for Your Right to Party in years. Since the 1980s. 
It was an out-of-touch intro. All right, so I introduce the Beastie Boys. They come on stage, and when they kick into Root Down, they shout me out! Now, you know, the ultimate dream in life is to get shouted out on a Beastie Boys studio track, but getting shouted out on a concert that was televised across the country, that's pretty cool, too. I remember I was sitting there on the floor, and when they said, my man, Jim, I was momentarily paralyzed. Butterflies, goosebumps, all of that. I was like, whoa, 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 the Beastie Boys just shouted me out. And then moments later, They did the weave. And I think, and maybe I'm wrong, I only got the shout out because I gave a passionate introduction. My interview with them earlier in the day was forgettable, but they were able to connect the dots when I got the crowd to pop during my intro. Oh yeah, that's the, that's the goofball that interviewed us earlier in the day. Oh yeah, he wanted the, he wanted the weave. You know what? It's a decent intro. Let's let's shout them out before we do the weave. All right, so let's get to the show. And like I said, at some point in time, I should probably spend a whole entire episode of the brouhaha talking about the first time I met the Beastie Boys. It was an incredible couple of days. P.S. There's like more layers to this. That concert was also my bachelor party. Shout out to my Mike D, Mike DeMonico, Fuzz, Troy, and Prof D. We all flew out to Las Vegas for that. Can you think of a better bachelor party? I cannot. All right, so let's get back to the concert. Fantastic Beastie Boys concert. A nice, intimate Beastie Boys concert. Um, During to check it out which MTV and MTV2 used as the to check it out video for a couple of weeks. In that clip, you can see Prof D holding up a Lauren Green sign. We created that in our hotel room. Excellent set. Beastie Boys going through the hits. Still all hip hop. No instruments yet back in the Beastie Boys live set. Uh, Only problem for me, all of my friends were on the front barricade and I couldn't get to them during the show. I could still see them going nuts in front of me, and that made me happy, and I was surrounded by people who were into it. So, fun concert, typical of the sets that they were doing leading up to the release of To the Five Burrows. And I was in heaven. I was with some of my best friends, and I got to introduce my favorite band ever live on stage before their show. So then the next time I saw the Beastie Boys perform live... It wasn't an entire set. It was only for two songs. But that too was magical. June 13th, 2004, the night that the Beastie Boys release To the Five Burrows. I was asked if I wanted to attend. Or maybe I misunderstood. A producer came up to me and said, Hey, did you hear about the live Beastie Boys special? And I said, No, tell me about it. 
I was just looking to get in. And they said, you know what? We want you to host it. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course. So I got to host a live Beastie Boy special on the night that they released their brand new album, To the Five Burrows. This is also an entire podcast episode. Now I heard going into this that I was going to throw to two Beastie Boys live performances as well as host the half hour show. So I thought, okay. And I I looked at the script and I saw that they were going to do Triple Trouble. And then I thought, all right, they'll probably do Triple Trouble and to check it out. And then as I flipped over the script, I saw that they were performing So What You Want to close out the night, my favorite song of all time. And we've been through this story before on the Brouhaha. When I announced it, I said, this is the song that changed my life. And MCA said, whoa. And I think he was simultaneously touched and simultaneously like, cool down, kid. That's a little dramatic. But it did. It did change my life. So I don't need to go into these performances too much because they're on YouTube. You could watch them right now. And here's the only thing that bummed me out a little bit. For the most part, they brought in a casted audience. So everyone there was just looking to be on TV. They weren't necessarily into the Beastie Boys. That's why when you watch Triple Trouble, the person most into it is my future wife. Yeah, the T-Bell is showing respect to the Beastie Boys during Triple Trouble. And everyone knew So What You Want more than Triple Trouble, so it seems like there's a good vibe for So What You Want. But if that place was filled with Beastie Boys fans, the vibe would have been off the hook. But another fun night. I'm living the life in 2004. That was the eighth time that I saw the Beastie Boys. And here's my question to all of you. Does it count if I didn't see an entire set? Like, does two songs count on your list? So if it does, great. If it doesn't, then you can lessen my official Beastie Boys live concert count. So let's go to live performance number nine. The K-Rock Picnic at Jones Beach in Wonton, New York. So back to the amphitheater. You know, this was a radio show, so there was Cypress Hill, Beastie Boys. I forget who else was on the bill. I went late because I only wanted to see the Beastie Boys. And I had these little box seats like within the pavilion, which was sort of gated off. So I had my own little nook and I was enjoying the Beastie Boys with my fiance. We were going to get married later that year. Another solid set by the Beastie Boys. I remember they came on stage with their mesh caps, the ones that they would wear throughout 2004. And they came out in the Dickies short sleeve work shirt and the Dickies pants. So the Beastie Boys were dressed on this day to throw out garbage or do lawn work. Still doing all hip hop. No instruments back in the set yet. And I I just remember it was a solid set. And there were two kids next to me who were kind of getting into it. So when the Beastie Boys performed So What You Want, I told them to come into my little box seat area. So me, the two kids, and my wife, we made the So What You Want circle. We bounced. And when they hit into the course, we went nuts. And then the kids asked for a picture afterwards. And then years later, I remember seeing this picture 
pop up on the internet. And this was before the era of everyone taking pictures with their cell phones. So I wonder whatever happened to those two kids. Did they get into the Beastie Boys? Did they start listening to their back catalog? Do they listen to the brouhaha? I would love to know. And if they do listen to the brouhaha, please get in contact with me. We'll talk about that concert at Jones Beach. And once again, if anyone needs to reach me, you can always find me at beastiepodcast at gmail.com. So that was concert number nine, leading us into concert number 10, the pageant tour, Madison Square Garden, awesome I effing shot that night. And I remember seeing the message go up on the Beastie Boys website. Who wants to record our concert at Madison Square Garden? So I had tickets that night. We, we, we turned it out again. It was me, Fuzz, Troy, Prof D, Joe, Dan, T-Bell, Super C. Another all-star cast to witness the Beastie Boys live. And I debated whether or not I wanted to record the show because I thought, yeah, like I could record the show and be immortalized in history or I could be present with my friends and just enjoy the Beastie Boys with them. So I went with the latter. (sighs) Fantastic show. I don't know if it's because I was surrounded by my friends and I was in a good section And the vibe was just on that night. And I'm pretty sure, and I I could check it, but I'm pretty sure that concert happened on a Saturday night. And there's something different when a concert happens on a Saturday night opposed to like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It was a beautiful night in New York City. And I remember midway through the concert, I said to myself, wow, like I'm feeling so good. Is this better than the first time I saw the Beastie Boys in 1994? If it's not, it's pretty close. Or maybe it is. Because the Beastie Boys at this point in time had a more polished set. You had Mixmaster Mike dropping in all those different instrumentals. I mean, the Beastie Boys were a tighter and more accomplished live act now than they were a decade ago. But maybe they had more energy a decade ago. But I don't know. It It was one of the best concerts I ever saw. And I don't have to go into it too much because there's a whole movie made about it. You could watch that right now. So yes, at the time, I'm still working in music. I could get free tickets, but I couldn't get eight free tickets. So to get a section of eight, we had to get them in the upper deck. All right, so one may think of that as a setback. I mean, I could still see the Beastie Boys. I I, I felt the energy. but then. When they came out for the encore. And you know what they did for the encore during this tour. They would pop up randomly in a different part of the arena. They would do intergalactic, go back downstairs, close out with sabotage. So when they popped up in the arena on this night, they popped up right in front of us. And I'm shocked that I'm not in Awesome I Shot That. Because they were right there in front of us. So it was cool because we had this private Beastie Boys concert in this sold-out Madison Square Garden show. So the Beastie Boys do Intergalactic, they go back downstairs, and they close out with Sabotage. A perfect concert, maybe the best concert that I've ever seen from the Beastie Boys. 
And I get it. It's all subjective because on that night, nobody was throwing armrests at other people and nobody knocked me to the floor when the Beastie Boys performed Sure Shot. So there you go. 10 concerts down, 10 more to go. The live log part one is complete. And before we end this episode of the Brouhaha, usually we start episodes with the scoop. We are going to end with the scoop today. Never believe it, y'all. It's a Better believe it, y'all. You know, I just want to recap some recent b-boy happenings or ones that have happened since the last episode of the brouhaha so in july it became official the intersection of ludlow street and rivington street in new york city where the bc boys took that iconic paul's boutique cover photo snapped by jeremy shatton it is officially now known as beastie boys square if you've ever run into leroy mccarthy he is always seen with that Beastie Boys square sign. That sign can now officially be put in Beastie Boys square. Because that's what it's called now. So Leroy, way to fight the good fight. Next up, even though it happened in April, the Beastie Boys are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Check Your Head by putting out a deluxe limited edition vinyl. So all of you collectors, you know what to do. You know how to work the internet. It looks great with all of the panels and different pieces of vinyl, and then it slides into a little case. So if Check Your Head changed your life and you are a vinyl collector, you better get that deluxe 30th anniversary goodie. And then finally, the San Francisco Toy Company, Super 7, have announced that they will be releasing Beastie Boys action figures. They are the three and three quarter inch variety. Same size as your Star Wars and G.I. Joe action figures as a kid. So it's the Beastie Boys depicting their characters from their iconic 1994 music video Sabotage. MCA is Cochise, Mike D is the Chief, and Ad-Rock is Bobby the Rookie. You can pre-order now, and these Sabotage reaction figures, that's what they're called, reaction figures, they'll be available in September. And I also like that each action figure comes with a little accessory. The Chief comes with a walkie-talkie. Bobby the Rookie comes with a donut. And Cochise is wearing two gun holsters. And this made me nervous because I'm like, eh. You can't give Yauk guns because he was against guns. I am happy to report that Cochise's accessory, two bananas. I think, and I don't speak for Adam Yauk, but I think he would appreciate that. So that will do it for this episode of The Brouhaha. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on social media at Jim Shear, or you could always email me at beastiepodcast at gmail.com. And if I don't respond immediately, I am probably busy with my day job or parenting, but I will try to get back to you as soon as I can. So thank you for listening to the live log part one. Up next on the brouhaha, we will give you the live log part two. So until then, my name is Jim Shear, and I will see Jens later. That's it, that's all, that's all there is. Good morning. 